open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 19. Jeremiah chapter 19 as we continue through the Old Testament. The message tonight is the broken jar. The broken jar. Here in chapter 19, Jeremiah said their generation would be destroyed beyond repair like a smashed jar. And the broken pieces will be taken to Babylon. And the gener- that generation of the nation wouldn't be restored to the land. The theme of the potter continues from chapter 18 here with another sermon, action sermon from Jeremiah. It's a sermon that cost Jeremiah a beating and a night in the stocks. We'll see that in chapter 20 next time. So let's begin with chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, Go and get a potter's earthen flask, and take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priests, and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the potsherd gate, and proclaim there the words that I will tell you. So Jeremiah receives this word from the Lord. In another symbolic sermon here, Jeremiah is instructed to take an earthen flask, all right, or a, or a, a clay jar, a clay vessel, to take an earthen flax, which was the most delicate and sensitive of all the ancient ob- objects. And he's to take that earthen flask and he's go to the potsherd gate that opened out to the valley of the son of Hinnom. An earthen flask was a small water bottle with a narrow neck made out of clay about 6 to 10 inches tall. Now the potsherd gate was where the potters worked and where the broken pottery was thrown. And that's where Jeremiah would break the flask. It overlooked the valley of the son of Hinnom. It was the dumping ground or the dumping area where children were ritually sacrificed in the days of Manasseh. It was the Jerusalem garbage dump. And Jesus referred to this place as Gehenna. But Jeremiah turned that place into a place to to announce a disaster that was coming soon because of what the kings of Judah had done. And the things that the kings of Judah had done was they had forsaken God. They had worshipped idols. They defiled the temple. They murdered the innocent. And they sacrificed their children on an altar that was dedicated to a a, a false god named Baal. Human victims were sacrificed to Baal in order to soothe his anger in time of a plague or other trouble. And the victim was usually the firstborn child. And that child was burned alive on this idol, to this idol. This valley had been a center for idol worship, but Josiah had desecrated it by making it a garbage dump. Oh, and on this trip to the Valley of Hinnom, Jeremiah was instructed to take some of the elders of the people, some of the elders or the older members of the priesthood, because the older people are usually serious-minded and would more likely take Jeremiah's message to heart. Now, it's best to follow the story by reading verse 10 after, after verse 2. So let's read verse 2 again. It's a, and, and Jeremiah is told to go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the potsherd gate, and proclaim there the words that I will tell you. Now go to verse 10. Then 
you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you. So at the potsherd gate, in the sight of all the elders, Jeremiah would break this flask. And then as verse 10 says, he would explain what he was doing. Look at verse 3. And say, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Behold, I will bring such a catastrophe on this place that whoever hears of it, his ears will tingle. Now the word here, in verse 3, is the Hebrew word shema. It's the key word in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7, where it begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So the word hear is calling for a decision. It's saying, hear, listen, pay attention. The Lord God is, is and the Lord is one. Love Him with all your heart, soul, and mind. So it's a call for a decision. Okay, concerning the content of the message, it covers every aspect of every day. The laws of God have to be considered, and they have to be committed to memory for life. And they have to be practiced, practiced, practiced. James says in chapter 1, verse 25, But if you look carefully into the perfect law of liberty, which is the Word of God, it's a symbol of the Word of God, that sets you free, and if you do, notice, if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for your doing. The Word of God is to be performed, it's to be done, it's to be obeyed, it's to be carried out. And the blessings come in the obedience to God's Word. So Jeremiah has to deliver a message to everyone about a total destruction shortly coming upon Judah and Jerusalem. And Jeremiah starts out by saying here, in verse 3, Hear the word of the Lord. Even though it's not good news. Hear the word of the the Lord. And And even though it's not good news, you have no one to blame for the bad news but yourselves. Both rulers and subjects have to listen to it. The kings of Judah have to listen to it. The king and his sons have to listen to it. The king and his leaders and personal advisors, they must hear the word of the king of kings. Even though they're as high in position as they are, God is above them all. And the citizens of Jerusalem also have to hear what God has to say to them. Both the leaders and the people are responsible for the nation's guilt. And both of them must come together in the nation's repentance or they'll both share in, what, in the destruction of the nation. They all have to know that the Lord is able to do what He says. And even though He's the God of Israel and He still loves them, He will punish them for their iniquities. In Amos chapter 3, verse 2, it says, From among all the families on the earth, I, God, have been intimate with you alone. That is why I must punish you for all your sins. God must punish sin. And he'll bring evil on Judah and Jerusalem. He says that there in verse 3 that it's so shocking. The judgment is going to be so shocking and so terrible that whoever hears about it, it says, notice, his ears shall tingle. Their ears shall tingle. And this expression is used to refer to the harsh, ringing judgment announcements here brought by Jeremiah. 
He says, whoever hears what's predicted here, it will make such an impression upon them of the horror that's coming that, that they won't be able to get it out of their mind. God described the, the, the ruin of Eli's house in the same way in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 11. Listen to what it says. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. He said the same thing about Jerusalem in 2 Kings 12, 12. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. Verses 4 and 5. And here's why the judgment's coming. And here's why their ears will tingle. Because they have forsaken me and made this an alien place. Because they have burned incense in it to other gods, whom neither they, their fathers, nor the kings of Judah have known and have filled this place with the blood of the innocents. They have also built the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or speak, nor did it come into my mind. God's bringing this judgment that's going to make their ears tingle when they hear about it because they made this place that was a place of worshiping God. They made this an alien place. It became an alien place because of their idolatry. The people had prevented the once holy city of Jerusalem from being the place where God chose his name to dwell. The city had become an alien place, a place of alien gods and goddesses. And God had to tell them clearly what their sins were so that they would clearly know why God had this conflict that was ongoing with them. They're charged with apostasy from God. He says, they have forsaken me. And they have abused the privileges that they had. And they have forsaken this place. In other words, Jerusalem, the holy city, and the temple, the holy house, that was designed purposely for honoring God and witnessing of His kingdom among men, they have walked away from those purposes and they have abused those, those, those godly purposes in the strangest of ways. They had polluted Jerusalem. They had polluted the temple so badly with their wickedness, their wicked idolatry worship, that God had disowned both Jerusalem and the temple and He forsake, forsake, uh, forsook them uh, to their own ruin. He charges them with having affection and adoration for false gods. Gods that neither they nor their fathers have known. Gods that have never been recommended by God to believe in and to respect because of any works of power or goodness done for them or their ancestors by these gods in comparison to what God had done abundantly for them. And yet they forsook, forsook the true and the living God. And they took them, the false gods, for their gods. Why? Because they liked change and freshness. So they liked them better. Be very careful when you start wanting something new. Be very wary if in your study you find something that no one else has ever seen before because God probably won't, wouldn't blind godly men to the truth for almost 2,000 years and suddenly reveal it to you or somebody else. A quote by K. Arthur. 
Be careful when you think you are finding something new. Or somebody else tells you, hey, you got to come over here. We're doing something new, something that's fresh and something that that nobody's done before. That God would hide it for 2,000 years and also all of a sudden now bring it and tell somebody, hey, I want you to know there's something new going on. We need to really be careful because there is going to be a lot of that going on in the last days. They were also charged with murder. Willful, premeditated murder. It says here, because they have filled this place with the blood of innocence. And this was Manasseh's sin that the Lord wouldn't pardon in 2 Kings 24.4. Let me read to you what it says there. And also for the innocent blood which he shed... For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord would not forgive. And when I think of innocent blood that is shed, I think of the abortion of babies. Idolatry and murder, when it's done separately, are bad enough and offensive enough to God and man. But when you put them together into one hard-to-understand crime, burning their children in the fire to bail, I, I will go as far as saying that, that, is, a, that is a form of, a, of abortion. They would take their children and they would, they would offer them in the fire to bail a false god. They would burn their children for another god. Now that god could be, in today's, in today's verbiage, Maybe somebody's career. That's more important. A child would get in my way of my career. Oh, it would get in the way of my life. It would get in the way of my goals. And so they would get rid of the child. They would burn their children in the fire to bed, which was one of the most insulting, despicable defiance to all the laws, both of natural and revealed religion that mankind was ever guilty of. And by doing it, they're openly saying that they love their new gods better than they ever loved the true and the living God. Even though they were such cruel taskmasters that they required them to sacrifice their children who belong to the Lord. And God says that children are a reward of the Lord. They're an inheritance from God. They belong to the Lord Jehovah who's, who owns all lives and all souls. Deuteronomy 32, 39 says, Now see that I, God, even I, God, He, and there is no God besides me, I kill and I make alive. God's the only one who has the right to kill and to make alive. And he says, I never demanded my worship. I never demanded this kind of thing from my worshipers. He never spoke of such a thing. He says, that that kind of a thing, burning kids on the altar. He says, that never even entered my mind. I never asked you to do that. Proverbs 6, 16 and 19 says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And one of those seven things is hands that shed innocent blood. Think of those who perform those abortions. Psalm 94, 21, And they gather together against the life of the righteous and condemn innocent blood. They gang gang up against the righteous and they condemn the innocent to death. 
Exodus 23, 7, do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. Notice God's viewpoint on this. Proverbs 31, 8, open your mouth for the speechless. Open your mouth for those who cannot defend themselves in the cause of all who are appointed to die. And you know how you can do that? When you vote. Newsom has got a bill out there, Prop 1. This is you can come to California, man, and, and you know it will support all your abortions. And we're going to write into the California Constitution so it can't be taken out. You want to open your mouth for the speechless and the cause of all who are appointed to die? Vote. Vote for what's right. Vote for, vote for what's godly. For godly principles. Verses 6 and nine, six through 9. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that this place shall no more be called Tophet, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And I will make void the council of Judah and Jerusalem in this place, and I will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hands of those who seek their lives, their crops, uh, their corpses, and I will give as meat for the birds of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth. I will make this city desolate and a hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and hiss because of all its plagues. And I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters. And everyone shall eat the flesh of his friend in the siege and in the des- desperation with which their enemies and those who seek their lives shall drive them to despair. Jeremiah has to try to get through the people's minds the seriousness and the horrible consequences of this destruction that's coming upon them. He has to tell them like he's done before back in chapter 7, verse 32, that this this valley of the son of Hinnom, he says it's going to get a new name. It's going to be called the valley of slaughter because of what's going to take place there. It's going to be called the valley of slaughter because many are going to die there by the sword, either when they go against their attackers or they're forced back or they try to make their escape and are captured and imprisoned. They're going to fall before their enemies who not only tried to make themselves masters of their houses and their estates, but have such a merciless hatred for them that they want them dead. They thirst after their blood, and when they're dead, Jeremiah says they're not even going to allow them to be buried. They're not going to allow the the dead to be buried, and their bodies are going to be meat, food for the birds and the animals. The Valley of Tophet is going to be a miserable place when all of that happens. And it seems that Tophet was the name of certain high places built in the valley of the son of Hinnom, just south of Jerusalem uh, where the human sacrifices were offered. Joseph defiled that place. And Jeremiah predicted that the valley would become known as the valley of slaughter. From the horror of the fire of its idolatrous rituals and its pollution by Josiah, the valley became a symbol of great burning in connection with sin. The Greek word Kahana, formed from the Hebrew word for Valley of Hinnom, means place of fire. And it's used as the name for the place of eternal punishment. And for those who are left in the city who won't surrender to their attackers, they would be trapped. And the siege would be so bad that the Jews would have to eat their own sons and daughters and friends to stay alive. 
They will be driven to total despair because of the suffering caused by their enemies. But they had been warned. They had been warned in the law that God's judgments would bring this terrible judgment. They were warned that this was going to happen as an example to show the severity of God's judgment. God means business when he judges sin. And he's serious about what he's going to reduce them to. He said it and he did it. And lastly, he said there in uh, verses 7 through 9 that the, that the whole city is going to be deserted. Houses are going to be laying in ashes. The residents are going to be killed or captured. There's not going to be any way out. Nor anything other than what it is. Regretful and horrible. He says, everybody who passes by, passes by and sees it, they're going to be astonished. The word astonished means stunned or, or to grow numb. That place where holiness once made made it the most joyful place on the whole earth, sin has now made it the reproach and the shame of the whole earth. And that's what sin does. It changes happiness into sadness. That's what sin does. Verses 10 through 13. Then, Jeremiah, you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you and say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, even so, I will break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel, which cannot be made whole again, and they shall, be, and they shall bury them in Tophet till there is no place to bury. Thus I will do to this place, says the Lord, and to its inhabitants, and make this city like Tophet. And the houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the kings of Judah shall be defiled like the place of Tophet because of all the houses on whose roofs they have burned incense to all the host of heaven and poured out drink offerings to other gods. The message of wrath delivered in the verses above that we just read in 7 through 9 is strengthened here so that it might be more believable in a couple of ways. First, with a visible sign, this, this, this action sermon, this visible sign of breaking the flask is going to be like what God does to, to, to Jerusalem. He's going to break them in pieces. And then at the end, in verses 14 through 15, Jeremiah repeats what he's just said in verses 10 through 13. And he uses those, those two ways to strengthen what's been said. In verse 1, Jeremiah was to take an earthen flask with him, and then when he had delivered his message, he was to break that flask, verse 10 says, into pieces. And the same witnesses who saw this, who saw the sermon, must be witnesses of the sign. He compared these people here in chapter 19 to the potter's clay in chapter 18, which is easily marred in the making. But some might say, well, hey, you know, we're past that time. We've been made and we've been hardened for a long time. We are what we are. And I've heard people say, hey, this is what I am. This is, and they blame God. This is how God made me. This is what he made me. I am what I am. And, and how can I change? But Jeremiah says, whatever you might be, the potter's vessel is just as quickly broken in the hand of any man, verse 11, as the vessel, though while it's soft, 
and is marred in the potter's hand, but the vessel that's hardened is worse off than the vessel that's still soft clay, even though it's marred. Why? Because it may be molded again. But after it's hardened, when it's broken, it can never be made again. Maybe what they see with this this action sermon about him breaking the flask, this clay jar, maybe what they see will have a greater effect on them more than what Jeremiah said. And you see, that's the purpose of the signs. You know, when you see a, a, a message worked out or, or, or you know, uh, acted out, it, many times it has a greater impact than, than the message that's used with words. And that's why teaching by symbols was used. In the explanation of this sign, Jeremiah has to get it into their mind what he said before. He says, I, I told you this before, but now showing you this as an example through this sign, maybe now it will sink into your mind with a a further uh, reference to the place where this was done in the Valley of Tophet, you've become hardened in your sin because of worshiping idols and you won't repent. As the bottle was easily, irresistibly, and irreversibly broken by the Chaldean army, the people depended too much on their settled ways and in their own strength, which they thought hardened them like a vessel of brass. But Jeremiah shows, the th- shows that even though it's hard, it's brittle, and it will break quicker and easier than something that's softer. Why? Because it's more pliable. Even though they were made vessels of honor, they were still vessels of earth. And so they will be made to know when they dishonor God and themselves and, where they are not, and when they're not doing the will of God, which is why they were created, to do the will of God. Revelation chapter 4.11, it says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power because you made all things. Everything existed and was made because you wanted it. Think about that. You exist and were made because God wanted you to use you for His glory. But if you're a hardened vessel and you reject God's purposes and will for your life and, and it, it, you can be broken and, and not put back together. But if you're still soft and pliable, God can still change you and use you. It's God himself who made them. And that, and, and, and he can decide, and, and that decides to unmake them. The same God who made them decides to unmake them. He makes all things new, the Bible says. Why? Because he has the power to undo the things that he's done. And what he's saying here is, I will break this people and this city in pieces like a potter's vessel, which is the tragedy of the heathen, which is the, 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 the bad thing for the heathen. But now it's Jerusalem's doom. Once a potter's vessel is broken... It can't be made whole again. It can't be fixed. That's what Jeremiah is saying. That Jerusalem's destruction will be a total ruin and no one can repair it but the one who broke it. And if they, the people, return to him, even though God is the one who's wounded them, he will heal them. Deuteronomy 32, 39 says, God says, I wound and I heal. He says, I wound and I heal. 
And this thing was done in Tophet to show two things. First, that Tophet should be the place of the dead. It says, notice, they shall bury in Tophet till there be no place to bury anymore there. And secondly, that Tophet should resemble the whole city there in verse 12. He said, I will make this city like Tophet. As they had filled the valley of Tophet with the dead, which, were they, uh, which they sacrificed to their idols, so God will fill the whole city with the dead that shall fall as sacrifices to God's judgment. Dead bodies and other filth of the city were carried there to Tophet. And a fire was kept burning there continually to burn the rubbish. This was the condition of, the va- of that valley when Jeremiah was sent there to prophesy. And it was considered to be such a disgusting place that Jesus referred to it as hell. Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom. Now, God says since that blessed reformation which Tophet uh, defiled did not, since it didn't continue as it should have, nor proved to be a complete reformation, even though the idols in Tophet were abolished and made detestable, those in Jerusalem remained. So I will do to the city what Joseph, uh, jo, uh, Josiah did to, to Tophet. I will fill it with the bodies of men and make it a pile of rubbish. Even the houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the kings of Judah and the royal palaces won't be exempt from this destruction. They will be defiled just like the place of Tovet, according to verse 13. And for the same reason, because of the idolatries that have been done there, since they won't dishonor them by a reformation, since they won't dishonor those idolatries by you know, reforming and, and renewal, God says, I'm going to defile them by destruction. Because he says, notice in verse 13, on the roofs of their house they have burnt incense to the host of heaven. You see, the flat roofs of their houses were used sometimes by devout people as convenient places to pray. But those flat roofs were were also used by idolaters as high places where they would sacrifice to their gods, especially, he says, to the host of heaven, which were the sun, the moon, and the stars. Because on the roof, they felt they might be closer to them, to their gods, and they would have a clearer and better view of them. And today, if you go to Israel, you will see a lot of the houses have flat roofs. And when I went, you could see they had lounge chairs out there. They had, you know, plants out there on the roof because it was a place to go. Like you said, you could go out there and, and spend time in prayer or it could be a place to just go out and relax. Or in this case, the, these idolaters would go out there on those flat roofs and, and, and feel closer to, to their gods and felt they had a better view and uh, be closer to them. And God says, because you went out there on your roofs and you worshiped them, he was going to defile them. They also had altars that the kings of Judah had built on the palace roof above the upper room of King Ahaz. And so this sin on the housetops, it brought a curse into the house that destroyed it and made it a dunghill like, like Tophet. Verses 14 and 15. Then Jeremiah came from Tophet, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, and he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring on this city and all her towns all the doom that I have pronounced against it, because they have stiffened their necks that they might not hear my words. So Jeremiah goes back to Tophet. 
the garbage dump where he had delivered his message. And he stopped in front of the temple of the Lord. And he said to the people there, this is what the Lord of heavens, the, the Lord of hosts, uh, the God of Israel says. Jeremiah says, God says, I'm going to bring disaster upon this city and its surrounding towns just like I promised. Why? Because you have stubbornly refused to listen to me. Jeremiah returned from Tophet to the temple that stood on the hill over that valley. And he probably confirmed and repeated there what he said in the valley of Tophet for the benefit of those who hadn't heard what he had said yet. And here, like many times before, Jeremiah assures them of both the judgments coming upon them and the reason why God was bringing judgment upon them, which was their sin. And then the people flattered themselves. They were so sure that God would, would, would do better or be better than his word. In other words, God wouldn't carry out his word. His word is harsh, but God's not going to carry it out. That God would, you know, be better than the threat of these judgments. And their thinking is that, you know, God just said this, you know, to, to threaten us. You know, to keep us in fear for a little while. But Jeremiah tells them, hey, you're deceiving yourself if that's what you're thinking. And many times people think, well, you know, that when the Bible says this, do you really believe that what it says God's really going to do? You better believe it. Because you're only deceiving yourself when you think, you, you can't really take that serious. You can't really believe that God's going to allow that or God's going to do that. Because you see, the Lord said, and the Lord is definitely able to make good on what he says. If God says it, you better believe it because he's got the ability to do it. Again, notice what he said. Uh, again, he says here, I will bring on this city and on all her towns, that is all the smaller cities that belong to Jerusalem and the capital. He says, I'm going to bring upon the city and all these towns all the doom that I have pronounced against it. He says, what I said I was going to do, I'm going to do it. And whatever men might think to the contrary of God, that is, they, they might think contrary to the carrying out of his will, that is, his providence. Whatever they think to the contrary of God, you know, that, that, that God's not going to carry out the prediction of his word. God's going to show himself to them to be merciless against sin and sinners, just as the scripture speaks of him. You see, what people believe or their unbelief, it doesn't change what God has said. It doesn't change either His promises or His threats. Their unbelief doesn't make God's word of no effect or of less effect. They might think that's what's going to take place. But again, what people think and, and what they don't believe does not change God's word, God's promises, God's providence one bit. It will be done. The people hated the prophecies of God. They hated the prophecies. They hated the word of God. And the hatred of the prophecies, the hatred of the word of God is the sin that they're charged with here. And it's the reason 
for God's judgment. God says it's because they stiffened their necks. They got stubborn. They wouldn't bow in submission to God's commands. They wouldn't listen to God's words. In other words, they wouldn't pay any attention to what God had to say. He wouldn't submit in obedience to God's word. In closing, make a note of this. The stubbornness of sinners in their sinful ways is totally their own doing and it's totally their own fault if their necks are hardened it's their own doing it's their own behavior they've hardened them and if they've closed their ears to the word of god it's because they've stopped their ears from hearing the word of god so we have to really pray that god by his grace would deliver us from hardening our heart And from despising his word and his commandments. He had warned the people. He had pleaded with the people. But their hearts were stubborn. Their hearts were inflexible. They were unbending. They wouldn't yield to the God of heaven. The clay had resisted in the hand of the potter for way too long. And soon the enemy would come and shatter the nation to pieces. The Jewish people rejected their king, Jesus, when they asked Pilate to crucify him. And 40 years later, the Romans did to Jerusalem what the Babylonians had done 600 years before. As John said in 1 John 5, 16, there is a sin that leads to death. Father, we come before you thanking you for your wonderful word, God. And Father, it's, what it says is, in a nutshell, we, we better not doubt what God's word says. It is truth. It is fact. And what God says, he will do. Otherwise, he would be a liar. And yet, God's word says, God is not a man that he should lie. He cannot lie because God is truth. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God said it. We believe it. That settles it. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We give you praise, glory, and honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.